We are studying together the Gospel of John. There are notes for you and all the scriptures printed for you. Uh, so I hope that you'll pull that out so that you can look at it with me uh, together. Uh, you, you might remember this. Um, you know, uh, one of the things around growing up was I noticed that there were lots of um, westerns on TV. And, uh, and then I remember this one movie and it had this phrase that you hear occasionally. The movie was Cool Hand Luke. Anybody remember, remember that? Yeah, Cool Hand Luke. And the phrase that is often repeated from Cool Hand Luke is, what we have here is a failure to communicate. So maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about, but many of you do. Um, what's happening in that film is that uh, it's actually spoken twice. Uh, earlier in the movie, it's spoken to Luke and later by Luke. Uh, the whole phrase actually uh, is, uh, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Some men just can't be reached. Uh, so that's the, that's the idea. And so the, the captain and Luke, they have this little ongoing relationship there. But what you notice is, it's not that they don't understand things. When he says we have a failure to communicate, that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't understand what's expected of you. Uh, the captain said it to Luke because there was a certain um, behaviors that were expected of him, certain demands that were expected of him, and he understood those demands. He just didn't want them to apply to him. He didn't want to do what was expected of him. So he, he said, well, it might be true for everybody else, but it's not true for me. And so what we have here is a failure to communicate, he said, um, recognizing that. And as I thought about that when I was thinking about John 10 uh, and the, the scripture that we're looking at uh, together. We're in the second half of John 10. We did the first half last week, talked about Jesus being the gate and the good shepherd. Um, recall, we talked about the formula that we're looking at here, the formula being belonging, which means knowing the shepherd and the shepherd knowing us, belonging plus access, Jesus being the gate, bringing us into the family of God. Belonging plus access equals life, real life, abundant life, super abundant life. Uh, the, the scripture encourages us there, John 10, 10, uh, that we saw. So what's taking place here is that the religious people had their ears tuned a certain way. They were tuned toward blasphemy. That's what they were listening for. That's what they were expecting uh, from Jesus. So they couldn't hear anything else that he said. They could, he couldn't relate to what the things that Jesus had done. Even though Jesus is using all kind of imagery that they would have been uh, understood very clearly like the shepherd from the 23rd Psalm. But what's happening here is not that their brains aren't understanding what's being said. They just don't like it. And so it's created resistance and antagonism uh, toward uh, Jesus and his struggle with them. So we're looking today at John. We're going to start with verse 14 and all the way through for, verse 42. Now, what I want you to do today, uh, it would be easy to say when you read, hear this scripture, maybe, well, he's talking to the Pharisees or he's talking to the Jews. Well, I just want you to know he's talking to you. 
It's talking to me. And so we need to get ourselves into this story so we can kind of understand what he's saying. So uh, I'm going to read you this section of scripture from the translation, the message. So you kind of maybe hear it in a fresh way. Uh, it's printed for you on the outline. It's also on the screen. John 10, beginning with verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me. In the same way, the Father knows me and I know the Father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They'll also recognize my voice. Then it will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me because I freely lay down my life. And so I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own free will. Would you say free will? I have the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I receive this authority personally from my father. This talk caused another split in the Jewish ranks. A lot of them were saying, he's crazy, a maniac, out of his head completely. Why bother listening to him? But others weren't so sure. These aren't the words of a crazy man. Can a maniac open blind eyes? They were celebrating Hanukkah just then in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was strolling in the temple across Solomon's porch. <clears throat> the Jews circling him said, How long are you going to keep us guessing? If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out. Jesus answered, I told you, but you don't believe. Everything I have done has been authorized by my Father. Actions that speak louder than words. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep recognize my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They are protected from the destroyer for good. No one can steal them from out of my hand. The Father, the, the Father put them under my care is so much greater than the destroyer and thief. No one could ever get them away from could get them away from him. I and the father are one heart and mind. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to throw at him. Jesus said, I have made a present for you from the father of a great many good actions. For which of these acts do you stone me? The Jews said, we're not stoning you for anything good you did, but for what you said, this blasphemy of calling yourself God. Jesus said, I'm only quoting your inspired scriptures where God said, I tell you, you are God's. If God called your ancestors God's and scripture doesn't lie, why do you tell, why do you yell blasphemer, blasphemer at the unique one the father consecrated and sent into the world? Just because I said, I'm the son of God. If I don't do the things my father does, well and good, don't believe me. But if I'm doing them, put aside for a moment what you hear me say about myself and just take the evidence of the actions that are right before your eyes. Then perhaps things will come together for you and you'll see that not only are we doing the same thing, we are the same father and son. He is in me and I am in him. They tried again to arrest him, but he slipped through their fingers. He went back across the Jordan to the place where John first baptized and stayed there. A lot of people followed him, followed him over. They were saying, John did no miracles, but everything he said about this man was true. Many believed in him, and then and there. See, in the last half of John 10, Jesus graciously exposes unbelief and doubt. He came so that we would believe, right? 
He came that we would believe and not doubt and have life. Jesus speaks to this group of men and women who have heard him teach and have seen his miracles, yet they persist in opposition, antagonism, and resistance. We're getting near the end of Jesus' public ministry, but he's choosing to face head-on this concept of belief. Now, he's not saying that these people didn't really believe in certain things in the Scripture, that they didn't believe in different ways about doctrine and truth. What he's really asking them is, have you believed it for yourself? See, that, that's where we all find our resistance, right? See, maybe, maybe all of you, maybe most of you would say, oh yeah, I believe, I, I know you did because I listened to you sing. I was just listening. You know, sing these songs and sing these truths and, and we come together and we believe. But the question is really not simply, do you believe in certain things that the church or that the Bible might teach? The question for Jesus is, have you applied it to your own life? Do you believe it for yourself? Or has that become a place of resistance in your own belief? So will you choose to believe, really believe? in Jesus. So four things we'll look at, four ways, and we kind of use this idea of him exposing uh, the, the truth to these, to these men and women. Number one, Jesus exposes why we must believe in him. Jesus exposes why we must believe in him. And what he's talking about here is uh, the level of our trust in him as we personally put our trust in him. Why must we believe in him? And he talks about three different things in relationship to that. One is his character, Secondly, his deeds, the actions that he's been involved in, the miracles that he's done, and his words, his character, his deeds, and his words. He told us about his character in the, the last message. We looked at the character of the shepherd, someone that we can trust, somebody that cares for us. Um, you know, I, I notice a lot of times in talking with people that a lot of times we forget to apply how God feels about us. You know, in most of the counseling that I'm involved in, I like, I'm a listener. I like to listen. I listen for quite a while. And then, you know, when it's my turn to talk, uh, what I notice many times that the things that we struggle with are problems because we have a basic misunderstanding about God, about God and how he's here. We have, what we have here is a failure to communicate a failure not just to understand in a broad way, but to apply it personally in our life. So thinking about how we believe in the character of God, the power of God in our life. Uh, you know, nobody cares for you like God. Nobody loves you more. He created you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. And he's asking you to put your trust in him. Put your circumstances in his hand. Trust him as the savior in your life. He really is all powerful. And the more we understand that, the more that I know that I can trust him with whatever I'm facing in my life. I can trust him with the circumstances because his power is going to come through at the right moments in our life. He offers us promises. So here's how he describes it. 
Uh, in John uh, 14 to 18 there, we see that he goes back and forth and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The insight that we have here is that just as the father knows Jesus and he knows the father, then we know him and he knows us. That he's using as an example the relationship between Jesus and the father as the relationship that we have between Jesus and us. Uh, coordinating that together, his care, uh, his love for us. He paints this picture. He says, I know my sheep and my, I know, and they know me. Uh, when Jesus reached down into a picture describing the highest relationship that we could have with him, he used the example of him and the father. Secondly, he says, I laid down my life. Uh, the insight there is I lay it down to take it up again. No one has taken it from me. It's such a powerful word. Jesus is saying, no one else decided this for me. I've decided. Jesus is saying, I, I laid down my life of my own accord, of my own desire. Did you notice that Jesus in that passage talks about this idea of free will? You know, he's not saying, you know, that I came because it was of necessity from my father. I didn't, nobody came and took my life from me. I gave it of myself. It was my desire to give of myself to, to you, offering myself as a sacrifice. I give myself, but I also uh, can take it up again. No one took Jesus' life from him. He gave his life for every one of us. Do you believe that? recognizing that that's what we should celebrate really every day of our lives, that Jesus offers it to us. And he says in the, in the third part there, he says, I bring my sheep into the fold. Uh, we talked about this last time, this idea of bringing him into the, into the family of God, bringing us together, sheep folds and bringing the sheep in. But what Jesus is talking about, uh, verse 16 is a verse that is very uh, misunderstood, kind of in religious circles. Maybe you know this, maybe you never even heard of this, but uh, the verse is verse 16. says, I have these other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. It's a, it's a misunderstood verse because people wonder about this. Who are these other sheep that he's talking about? Uh, I'll give you some examples. Um, I've noticed that uh, one idea, uh, the Mormons have this perspective that Jesus not only came 2,000 years ago to, into Israel, but that he came to America. And this is where they get that verse from that are talking about these, these other sheep and how they classify what he's talking about there. Uh, even in uh, the Catholic faith, one of the, one of the reasons some, sometimes the Catholic faith has, has struggled with other Protestant denominations, other denominations is they took this to mean that there was, there was only one church and they were all gonna be brought into this one church. Well, it just so happens that the one church would be theirs. You know how that goes. Uh, so that no one could be saved in some other setting like that. that. This verse is just taking, you know what he's talking about in this verse? Now, first of all, who's, who's he talking to? Anybody know? You want to get, you want to, he's talking to the Jews. That's right. He's talking to Jewish people and he's saying to them, I didn't just come for you. I came for these other sheep. You should be, you're right. That's pretty, that should make you really happy. 
because what that means is we get to be brought in. He said, there will be a whole nother group of people. I didn't just come for the Jews. I came for all people. I came for the Gentiles and that those will know my voice also and be brought into the fold. Hallelujah uh, for that. Glory to God. That, that is true of us, that we've recognize that Jesus came for the whole world, uh, not just a certain race or not just a certain people group. Uh, you know, that's why we have to be really careful, right, about putting other groups down and not uh, being racial or being prejudiced. We can't be all those things. As believers, we recognize that God has come through Christ to reach every person who has ever lived. So we can't, you know, we can't be all wrapped up in everything. He, he says some other things that kind of help us uh, think about that. Uh, first of all, he talks about uh, the reaction of the people in the midst of what he's saying about being one shepherd here. Some of the people begin to talk about Jesus, uh, about laying down his life and taking it up again. And the Jews are divided. Verse 19, it says that some thought that he was a madman and others thought that he was the God man. You know, he's either one or the other. I mean, he... Of all he said, he's either nuts or he's God. He's either the madman, a madman, or the God man. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed. Can a, can a madman or a demon open the eyes of the blind? He's either one or the other. He's either crazy or he's God in the flesh. He claims to be God, and through this argument that he's giving them, um, they're saying there's all kind of reasons in verse 21 why he wasn't crazy. They first of all said that the words of Jesus are not the words of a man, man, madman and that they are consistent and compassionate and caring. Every, everything he says changes lives. The deeds of Jesus are not the deeds of a, a madman. He worked miracles. He healed people. He cared for people that nobody else cared about. He touched the lives that nobody else would touch. And with the Samaritan woman that nobody cared about or the person that had leprosy that everyone was afraid of, Jesus had the power to heal and transform them. The effect of Jesus was not the effect of a madman. You know, a crazy person might walk up to somebody that was blind and say, you shouldn't be blind. What good does that do? That doesn't help at all, but he comes, he as one who can bring about sight to the blind. How could it happen that he had opened the eyes of a man born blind? That's not the effect of a madman. Uh, he is, is either crazy or he's Christ. He's lunatic or the Lord. And Steve, still people are arguing about that even today, right? But the answer is not looking for proofs. The answer, Jesus says, is in trust, trusting in me. Trusting Jesus and recognizing him as uh, the Lord. So as we are in this passage, the next section that he wants to talk about there, he tells us that he is at uh, a feast. He's at a celebration. He always went to these celebrations. He's at the, in the temple around Solomon's porch. It was a place where there was teaching done by the rabbis. It's happening in the wintertime. Uh, so uh, he tells us all that. And they ask him this question. Uh, after they surrounded him, they encircled him, uh, and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us uh, plainly. So Jesus begins by exposing the reason for the unbelief. Like, why was there unbelief in there? Don't you wonder sometimes, why didn't Jesus just give them the whole story and just lay it on them uh, and tell them who he was? Well, the truth is, he, he said things like, I'm the son of God, I'm the son of man, because the word Messiah in his time had its own kind of definition. 
They thought that the Messiah was going to come and be a powerful leader. The Messiah was going to overthrow Rome. The, the Messiah was going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and rule over the people. So for Jesus to say, I'm going to be the Messiah, would have been into their definition. So he used definitions that were from the Old Testament that described a Messiah that would come as a savior. Uh, and so that's his, his language for them. So he, he uses that different language uh, trying to help them. But he tells them, here's the reason for the, the unbelief. As he's talking to them, he reminds them that it's because of their unwillingness to embrace who he is. Now, that's where I thought there's a failure to, co to communicate, right? I mean, he's been telling them all these things. As we've been walking through John, we saw in chapter 2 where Jesus turned the water into wine and he threw out the people that were using the temple for their own marketplace. Uh, in chapter 3, we heard John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God, the one sent by God. And John's ministry was to point others to Christ. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. Chapter 4, Jesus healed the son of the royal officials uh, without ever even taking a step in the direction of that child. 20 miles away, he healed the sick boy. Chapter 5, we saw Jesus healing a man who had been uh, lame for 38 years, laying by the pool of Bethesda. He called God his father and called himself both the son of God and the son of man as he was describing himself as the one who had come that was sent by God. Chapter 6, we saw Jesus miraculously feed 5,000 men plus women and children and miraculously walk on the water on the Sea of Galilee. And the chapter ends by calling himself the bread of life, the son of man sent by God. John chapter 7, Jesus was at the feast of tabernacles and applied the truth of the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, to the people of God there and called them to believe in him as the one sent from God to be the savior that would give his life for them. Chapter 8, we see him preaching and calling people to recognize that he is the light of the world and that there will be no darkness in him. He called himself father and for the first time he says, I am the I am of God. Chapter 9, we saw him heal, G, heal the man that was born blind. And in chapter 10, we see the pronouncement of Jesus as the gate and as the shepherd. If it's not clear enough, don't we want to say, what is the failure to communicate? He's proclaimed it so clearly, so powerfully. And yet they have an, a lack of an awareness to apply that uh, to themselves. They were unwilling to embrace the truth about Jesus, uh, who he was. Um, you know, it, it reminds us that Jesus is calling us to hear his voice, to apply that truth uh, to each one of us. Number three, Jesus continues to expose unbelief. He exposes, exposes the loss received through unbelief the loss that we receive through unbelief. He is challenging us in these verses to be reminded that God wants us to have assurance and security in him, not to live in a way that is just up and down and all over and feeling, feeling lost. You know, the, this section of scripture is also uh, very hotly debated. Uh, this is a section of scripture that a lot of times the teaching about eternal security is all wrapped up in, in some of these verses here. Um, now, this sermon's not about that topic totally, but I just want to tell you a few things uh, about that um, because there's a lot of argument. Like my whole life, 
Um, I grew up around a bunch of Baptists, uh, a lot of Baptist friends, and so lots, lots of argument, but it's not just them, others, and a lot of times they'll apply these, uh, these passages to it. But what you have to realize is that, because a lot of times we say things like once saved, always saved, and that phrase uh, over against uh, this idea of uh, free will or the, the ability to be able to backslide uh, away from God. That's kind of the, the contrast of that. You're familiar with that, that debate, I'm sure. So a um, couple things about it. I mean, first of all, I just want to tell you that both of them are pro- proclaimed in the Bible. There's no doubt about that. Uh, does God want us to recognize that he is sovereign? You know, what that means is that God is not fickle. That means that God is not giving it to you and taking it back and giving it to you and taking it back. He, you know, he is, he is the God that looks at our heart. He knows the heart relationship. He recognizes a faith relationship uh, that we have with God. Does God want us to be secure and assured in our faith? Absolutely. I mean, we sing that blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. You know, we, he, he doesn't want us to live like little insecure children of his. He says, I'm the shepherd. I'm taking care of you. I've provided access to God, and I want you to be in a relationship with God, secure in him. However, the Bible also teaches that you can fall away, that you can know God. I mean, it's, it's, I could spend a lot of time talking about this, and, and, but recognizing uh, Galatians talks about falling from grace or somebody that could be led away in error, uh, a weak brother that might perish or one that is moved away from the hope. Language in First Peter, Second Peter, sorry, denying the Lord who brought them in or departing from the living God, Hebrews 3.12. Uh, just all kind of places like that that remind us of what is happening here because there's no doubt uh, that somebody can walk away from their faith. See, it doesn't just, it says no one can take, be taken from you. But what it doesn't say is that you can't give yourself. You know, he didn't, he didn't put you in a headlock and give you one of those, you know, to say, you're going to be a Christian. No, he wooed you. He drew you to himself. He loved you. He witnessed to you through people in your life. And you came to a place of conviction where of your own free will gave your heart to Christ, right? Did you lose your free will when you got saved? Nope. We all still, you know, do you notice Jesus? It's amazing in this same scripture that we call, that we talk about sometimes. Jesus himself talks about his own free will. That he had a choice and he made a choice to become our savior, to give himself for us. He could give, he could take it away, he could choose not to, but he chose to sacrifice himself freely for us. Um, so, recognizing kind of what, he, what he's talking about in this whole section here, um, reminding us of, of really the truth. It's sort of like if, if you lean this way, then you sort of do spirit, biblical gymnastics to make everything sound like this. Or if you lean this way, then we kind of make it sound like, you know, we're guilty, right? We're guilty of taking what we believe and try to make everything kind of fit in our little box right there. We cannot be like that. You know what he said here? He said that we are to be one. You know, we are one not just because of certain name on our church 
or uh, the doctrine that we happen to, to put in. We are one because we follow the only shepherd. He is the shepherd. You know, we get along a lot better if all of us that love Jesus would just be united, right? If we just wouldn't fuss and fight about all these little things. You know, Church of the Nazarene has really attempted to be a place in the middle of the road there. You know, we love the Baptist. You know that? <laughs> we do. We're, we're, we're about the same work in this world. You know, we, we love Catholics, don't we? Man, we're not, we're not again, we're not going to be, and if you're like that, if you're one of those people that when you get kind of in your little hot spot and you get talking and all that and you're putting down this one and that one, quit doing that. That's not us. That's not who God called us to be because we all have one shepherd, one that's leading us. We follow Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, they're our brothers and sisters. We might do things a little differently or whatever, but we come together. Hey, it was good preaching, Pastor, right? Yeah. So he, that's part of what's happening here. See, he's not talking about all those exterior kind of things that we try to apply this passage to. He's asking you, do you believe? Have you applied it to your situation? Are you willing to let his words, his power, his grace, his ability impact you? I know you believe all these things out here, but do you believe it for yourself? The last one, number four, Jesus exposes the lack of wisdom in refusing to believe. So what is he doing here? He's asking us to rethink how we think about things. How do we think about his works, his miracles? How do we think about God's word? How do we apply that uh, to, to our life? He's asking us to, to think about that. You know, he, what's happening in the passage is that their religion, their man-made religion requirements designed to impress God felt kind of weak and worthless in the presence of Jesus. Uh, I mean, what could be wrong when giving a man that has been born blind his sight? Nothing. I mean, what could be wrong with Jesus healing the sick and lifting up those that were oppressed and broken? His display of power and grace can only be explained. You know, we think all that stuff makes him like God, but what really happened is God was made like man to walk among us. And he wants us to see that, to recognize this offer of salvation to people that were trying to kill him. Jesus does that, and it's a good thing because even though we resisted him, he keeps chasing after you he longs for you so the question to believe or not to believe to believe or not to believe that is really isn't it that simple isn't it really that simple do I believe or not do I not believe because many times we leave ourselves we find ourselves in bondage to our lives our circumstances our habits our environment how we were raised what happened to us we find ourselves in bondage because we don't apply the same power of God to our situation that we do to other people and other situations come on be in here with me now don't leave me out by myself because the deliverance principle is believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. Now, we do it opposite, don't we? We doubt our beliefs and we believe our doubts. All right, a couple of, let's see, some illustrations. Okay, um, I saw this experiment that was done. 
So the experiment was that they brought some ladies uh, to, to this place where it was all going to take place, and they didn't tell them really what to expect or whatever. Basically, they just told them when they came in, they would be in a waiting area, and they would talk to a, a very nice, friendly lady that was there. They didn't know her, but they were just to get acquainted with her. And so they talked for quite a little while, talked together, got to know each other, and then they would call their name. And they would come back, and it was a kind of a studio there, and they would... Um, there was a forensic artist who was there. You know, one of those guys that you'd try to describe the suspect and they, they draw out this. So he was there and he was on one side of the curtain with his back to them. And then they had a chair on the other side of the curtain. And so the person would walk in and they would sit down and he would, he would just start talking to them. And he, his, his plan was to draw a picture of them. And so he began to ask them questions. All he was going to do was just draw their face. So um, he said, um, yeah, t tell me about your hair. And so she, she says, you know, my hair is a certain length or whatever and brownish or blonde or whatever. It was multiple people, so it was different things. And, um, and then she'd say things like, um, I don't know, I kind of have this one little spot over here. Or, you know, she'd give some kind of negative thing about her hair. I know, none of, not y'all ladies, that was not y'all, but, you know, they did something. And then he asked her, you know, he'd say, tell me about your chin. And, and she would describe it a little bit. And you know, he'd say, you know, my dad always said I had a big old chin. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, one of them talked about all the, the freckles or something. That, uh, and, you know, just all these things about the nose and how they felt about their nose. And then this one lady's talking about all the kind of the black circles or the crow's feet that got around her eyes and she was just you know describing her yeah you know what I'm talking about right she's talking about herself and he he's drawing her and he draws draws this picture they finish and she goes her way and then they bring in that woman that she met out in the waiting area and so she comes and she sits in the same chair and so here she is and he's asking her questions about the same lady that just left and now he's drawing another picture of her. Oh, this time, I mean, she's saying, oh, she was delightful. I mean, she, that smile, I mean, she's just so brilliant. Like her hair, I mean, it was just like it's kind of just clean, you know, just sparkled. It was, it was beautiful. Man, what a, just a beautiful face. I mean, I just really liked her. She was, she was so positive and so nice. And so he's drawing this picture of her. Guess what? Pictures were very different, Right? They brought them in one at a time, both portraits side by side. The one on this side that was done first, oh, they looked old. Hair was kind of thinning, um, you know, the kind of the, those dark circles under her eyes and she, she looked kind of, she looked heavier, uh, you know, because she's described herself being a little overweight and, uh, and so this, and she just couldn't believe it. I thought, Oh, she looks terrible. And then they looked at the other one. Oh, the other one was so light. She looked so good. Hair was beautiful. Eyes were bright. None of those dark lines underneath all that. Because uh, that girl didn't see any of that. Just saw how friendly and nice and kind and loving that she was. Do you get it? See, we're not talking about your looks. We're talking about, do you believe in Jesus and what he said? Do you believe 
in his ways for us. See, you can believe in what the way you think about yourself and the way that you think about God, or you can believe what God says about you, right? Which portrait are you? I know how you are. You know, I sit in a room and we talk together. And, you know, I don't, I don't hear all this glorious things that God has been doing in your life. All I hear about is black lines and, you know, crow's feet and not really, but you know what I mean by that. We don't always apply our belief in this awesome, mighty God. Oh, if somebody asks us on the street, oh, yeah, I go to church. I love the Nazarene church. I'm our pastor, and I, just, I love our church, right? I hear you. I know you do. That's not what I'm asking you. Which portrait? Because if you're not believing in Christ to the place of believing that he, what he says is true, then you're in bondage. Bondage, not created by God, not created by anybody. Bondage that is allowed by you, by you. This, this little, uh, one other little exercise, they were asking these people, um, they were wanting to talk to them about their view of God. And so they had them write, make these four boxes. Box number one was you as a, as a child or as a teenager, uh, like up to about 15 years old. Box number two was you as a young adult uh, in your life, and then the box number three was like 30s and on up during kind of a, your work life, and then finally the latter part of their life. This lady was in her 60s, and so she was filling out this little thing, and they asked her, what do you, what, how did you view God? So in this first little, this first box, uh, as a child, she said, I saw Jesus, Jesus as above me. You know, uh, he was awesome, he was great, he did great things. Every, everybody talked so highly of him. You know, church was just like up here, you know, and so he, he was above me. Says, as I got to be a young adult, he was below me because I didn't need him anymore. I didn't really need him. So he was, he was kind of down there. Didn't think about him very much. Really didn't apply him to my life at all. Once he was above, then he was below. Then she says, I became a Christian. And she said, during the time I was kind of working in my life and my career, um, I was for God. Like I was doing things for him. I was going to church and, uh, you know, I was, I was trying to help people. And I showed up at Think Big and worked on this. I did all, this, I did all these things. I was for God. But now, she said, I'm with God. And I should have been with God all along. Isn't that us? We just find ourselves in all these places and we just forget to apply who I am to the beliefs that I have. All right, we're going to sing this song. Um, Rachel's here for me. We're going to talk about it before we sing it. So on the bottom of your outline, uh, some words here. I have no idea if you know this song. They play it on WCIC, but it is so fantastic. I could not not do it, okay? Um, uh, we sang it with the band in the first service, but these guys are going to help me with it. Now listen, what we're doing 
is asking God, okay, I'm asking which portrait, because we need to throw one of them away. We're going to throw that old one away, and we're going to listen to what God says about us, right? All right, so this song says, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? Whew, that's pretty awesome. That God loves you, has brought you into his life, into his fold. I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Now, the way I printed these for you, I want you to know that sometimes there's a failure to communicate. So what he does in this, this song is he repeats things to make sure that you get it, that you don't just say it generally, but you say it personally. Notice the chorus says, who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. You know, everybody would say, "Woo, that's true. We know that. That's in the Bible, right? I know that. Yep. But that's not what it says. It says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Do you feel the difference in that? That's powerfully different. It's not just some knowledge that I have. It's me accepting for myself. This is how God feels about me. He goes on, it even gets better. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. And he says it personally, yes, he died for me. He's applying it to us. Who the sun sets free, oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. <laughs> I'm a child of God, yes, I am. Then listen to this. I am chosen not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I, I tell you what, I know you didn't realize this, but you came to counseling this morning, right? Because this is our problem. We always say, well, I believe. I'm a Christian. I grew up around the church. I know this. I know that. You got all this stuff that you know. But you're living in bondage. Even in a room this size, there's many of you that still don't have it figured out. But you've got to quit looking at it through your eyes, your brokenness, your dislike of who you are, your struggle with what happened to you, and listen and believe what God says about you. We're going to sing this. Rebecca's with me here. Why don't we stand? Why don't you stand with me? Now listen, even if you don't like singing a lot, you know, those, those lines that I have bold print right there, say them out loud. Apply them to you. Think about the difference of what Jesus is talking about. And he is talking directly to you and me this morning. You can't get out of here. Don't leave the room because he is talking to you about, about bringing you to a place of deliverance from the things that have held you in bondage. Let's do it. Oh. 
God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus, wow. Thanks, Lord, for just coming and meeting us right where we are. Not letting us just, just have this thing that we believe in without applying it to us. And maybe we have at times, but many times we've been resistant. Many times we question whether you were a madman or really the God man. We've, we've been those people. But we thank you today for the breaking of the bondage. We tell you today, we believe who you say we are. Help us to live that out. Help us to apply it. Help us to believe in you at that level and help us to surrender our wrong thinking to the right thinking. That is what Jesus came to tell us. We love you, Lord. We bless you and we give you praise together. In your name, everybody said together. Amen. Amen. Amen.